You are listening to Checkbox Outreach, a podcast that showcases excellence and raises awareness of current issues from those who are directly impacted, but typically not at the table. Now, here are your hosts, Aaliyah Gaskins and Katie Leonard. Hi, welcome to Checkbox Outreach. This is Katie. Hi, everyone. It's Aaliyah. And today we are joined by Evelyn Orithia. And she is with Tenants and Workers United, um, which is a nonprofit that works to organize and build power among the most impacted communities, including immigrants, workers, women, and youth. So we are just so excited to have her on and cannot wait to dive into this conversation. So welcome, Evelyn. Hi, both of you. Thank you so much for having me. It is a pleasure to be here and sharing a little bit about us at this moment. So thank you for having me. So Evelyn, I am all about Tenants and Workers United. When I first started my work in the city of Alexandria back in, oh my gosh, what year was that? 2013. I was tasked with getting community members input and feedback. And one of the organizations on my list was Tenants and Workers United. And people were giving me caution, right? Like, okay, well, be careful. You know, they're they're like kind of causing an uprising or they're very vocal and you have to just tread lightly. And now in retrospect, when... I see that you guys are talking about organizing and building power. I see why that would be a threat to some people. So I would love for you to explain how you got involved in this work exactly and what really at its core is Tenants and Workers United. Yeah, no, thank you uh, for sharing that with me. Um, When I immigrated to this country, I was 16 years old. I landed here and it was really difficult time for me as a newcomer to United States to Virginia, to Alexandria. (laughs) And, you know, uh, navigating through the system was a challenge at that moment. And I get to know the organization that was back on 1992. My mom said, you should go to this organization. They will help you to understand how the school system works. And that's how I get connected with the organization back to that time. I was just a youth trying to get to know how this country works and how I can you know, be part of that society in here, you know, and that work that we do, it's basically about that. It's about empowering people, empowering women, youth, uh, working class people to really uh, get to see how the system works, to really be part of the society, not just only by going to work and, and live in a community, but by being active, by realizing the issues that we have in this country, but to do something about it, right? It's not just yeah. only to acknowledge that, that something is happening. It's also to understand that now you're part of this country, you're part of this society, what we can do to improve ourselves, what we can do to improve our community, and, and also what we can do to improve the future of our kids. Um, a lot of the families that we work with at this point, they have kids that are born here. They have been here for 20 years, 30 years. I think uh, the, the work that we do is really important because of that, because we are part of the society and most of our community that landed in here, they don't go back. Yeah. Um, so we have to learn to see how the system works and be part of this, of the, you know, of the change that we want to see. I love it. Evelyn, can you talk a little bit about what it means or what it looks like to empower people? I think we're at a moment where so many folks want to help people. And there's a big difference between, you know, helping or charity and actually empowering folks to understand and dismantle systems. So I'd love to know what that looks like through your work. Uh, to empower people through our work is basically getting to the community, the ones who are more effective, provide workshops for them to understand how the system works, 
create a space for them to be part of, you know, the decision maker process. Understand that there are some uh, laws in the system that don't work for people of color, don't work for immigrants community. And we have to ensure that our community, not just only to listen to them, but to ensure that they have the power to change the things that they see in the community that are not working for them, right? Most of the time we think just by providing, you know, a system is a good thing. I always say you have to learn us how to fish, not just only to provide a piece of fish for us, because yeah. at the end of the day, we have to be proactive and active in our community. And the only way to do it is creating those spaces. You know, and it's easy for a lot of people to say, well, we provide service for them. That's not enough. Mm -hmm. uh, we are here. We're, st we're living here. We're going to stay here. You want to see a society that is active. You want to see people who are educated. You want to see people who are, uh, you know, one day our kids will be, you know, we like it or not. They will be the ones who probably were going to be running this country. We want to ensure that they do understand that. We want to ensure that they are part of the change changes, not just only we are here and you just, you know, provide service for us. So, you know, I think it has to be a combination because it depends. Right now we are in a pandemic, right? But talking about organizing leadership development and ensure that these people, we hear them, right? We don't just mm -hmm. say, we're listening to you and, but I know that they would do whatever we want. It's creating yeah. those spaces. And you have, I guess, so many different hats that you have to wear all the time. And I remember a conversation that you and I had had years ago, and I'm not going to talk about the exact topic area, but I was, I was angry because I'm typically always pissed off and ready to like kick down doors. And I was like, we need to do something. We need to reach out to the stakeholders. And you were like, well, I can't raise awareness on that issue right now because then other people will look at that issue and bring about another issue that it's a little bit more important. And I, at that point, took a step back and realizing there are so many levels to a lot of the issues that our communities are facing. And I know in my work that I've done, a lot of it always ties back to how do I create awareness without further perpetuating stereotypes or feeding into stereotypes? So can you... I guess, share a little bit about what is that balance? Like, how do you create awareness, but not, you know, have the broader community actually say, oh, those are the poor people that live in that community right there. Those are the brown and black people. And they, they act like this. Like, what's that balance like for you? It is really hard. And I think you mentioning at the beginning of this conversation, right, how people who are empowered or who are part of the system always tell you, you have to be careful. This organization is, yeah. you know, it's it push the boundary. And I, I think that's what it makes us unique uh, in Alexandria. And that's what also makes us really lonely sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think you have to be bold enough to really understand who you're working with. I think one of the greatest things about me being in this position and the staff that I work with is that we know the community. It, it is a lot that the community abroad need to be educated on who the immigrants are really are. You know, sometimes yeah. I read comments saying they should apply for a citizenship in the right way. They shouldn't come uh, undocumented. Trust me, it's, a, it's not that easy. If yeah. that would be easy, 
people will go ahead and go through the process the and get timing, it done. The timing, the time frame that it takes. I say that, I'm like, I'm not for everybody. I just know that. All these things that like play into that, it, it makes me really angry. People yeah. love to give advice on things they know nothing about. I mean, I was reading some comments that were talking about the affordable housing crisis and folks in the comment section had said, well, they don't have to live here. If people want a cheaper rent, they could move somewhere else or maybe they could move down south or a place where they don't have to pay this much money. And it's like, are you kidding me that <laughs> this is still the way so many people think? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I've been arguing in almost every single one of our episodes where it is the black and brown community, the immigrant community that have literally carried our country on their backs throughout coronavirus. And you look at the people who've had to show up at service organizations or construction sites, whatever it might be, they're the ones working and putting themselves at risk every single day for us to be working from home comfortably, connecting to our internet and showing up on Zoom calls. So with COVID, I know the housing piece and rental assistance has been something that you've been working on. What is that reality right now? Like, what is the real experience of people that you're talking to? What are they going through? As you may already know, um, the Latinx community is one of the, the highest impacted at this point in Virginia with COVID-19. The issues about housing, the issue about the economic crisis that our community live, is not new to us. For people who really have been working with the community for so long, um, like me, myself, um, this is not new to us. This issue was there before, but now make it worse, yep. right? Mm-hmm. So what our families are going through at this point yes. is... So, you Don't know, get me started, Evelyn. Don't get me started on that. Test, <laughs> and, they go by, and, and they get the test results. The whole family probably is already sick, right? That's one thing. The other thing is that they have lost, a lot of them have lost their jobs or their hours have been reduced. They still have to go and work one hour, uh, one day or two days. Uh, they are exposed because they, you know, let's be honest, the pandemic is new, but also even though we had a doctor at the state, he's not, he has not been taking this so seriously, mm-hmm. our governor. And it's not that the people is safe at their job. It's not that we are, we are providing the healthy environments for our people to go back to their work, but people are doing it. So as you mentioned, people are going back to work in that way we can enjoy probably having some calls from home. I haven't been able to enjoy that a, a lot. I have been in the front line with my community. But uh, it's, it's a reality. We have the highest infection in the Latino community. Our people is working one or two days a week. Our people doesn't have no access to health insurance. A lot of them are not being testing or they're being testing, but by the time they get the result, it's too late. They are so behind on rent, many of our family. When I say behind me in two or three months that they own on rent and other utility bills, they barely can bring food at home. So we're talking about a health issue, a, a economic crisis, but also with the health issue, we also have a lot of mental, psychological mm-hmm. impact. Mm-hmm. Um, we have family members that cry because they don't know how they can handle the situation at home with their kids not being in school. And now they have to feel like, you know, they... They cannot go back to work. They can be evicted at any minute. So they're going through that emotional process, right? And we have family who always have worked two or three jobs, like I said at the beginning, that they were able to pay their bills. And now yeah. because of the pandemic, yeah. they are so behind and they don't know how the future is going to look like. And it's not just only for the adults, it's also for the kids. Mm-hmm. So that really is a lot of pressure on our community at this moment.
I know that you and tenants and workers have been very clear that it doesn't have to be this way, that there are specific actions our local government and our governor could be taking to address some of the challenges you just mentioned. I'd love for you to speak to what are some of the things you guys are advocating for. One of them definitely is cancel rent. Um, it should, they should cancel rent. The other ones, they should stop the evictions at this moment. And the other ones, we need more funding. Um, the funding that it was provided through the state level is too little for the families that have been impacted because we are not talking just only about renter. Also, we're talking about homeowners who are behind on their mortgages. Also, at the local level, I think there is so much that they can improve, right? When we talk about rental assistance, the programs that are in place sometimes is not enough. And we look at county like Alexandria, for example, right, that is doing this much. $600,000 a month for three months. I think it's for 2,400 families or a little bit more. We have more families that have been impacted than just that to start with. Number two, $600, it's not going to stop you from eviction, really? right? And if you will look at other counties like South Fairfax County that we're working on it, Woodbridge, we know that the programs that they had in place are not really reaching out the community immediately, right? It's, it's taking so long for the communities make a phone call and for them to respond back, if they do respond back. So we have an issue on the implementation of the programs, plus we have so little of money for those programs and we had a huge need. So who are gonna be evicted really soon is people of color, working class, the black and the Latino community, that communities who have been more impacted with COVID-19, the community who is more infected at this point and probably the community that is still working one day or two days a week, but it's not enough to pay yeah. $1,800, $2,000 of rent. Have you guys worked on solutions to say, hey, we have an answer for you. You just have to do X, Y, and Z, and here it is. Do you guys do that as well? We do that most of the time. Um, that's why we're not so welcome on, on, <laughs> on, places, on places that are so uh, you know, progressive. We call ourselves, we are yeah. so progressive, but mm -hmm. definitely you know, policies that are in place are not progressive at the, at the way that we say it. And, you know, we talk about it. We do it all the time. Like right now we had a campaign in Alexandria trying to end SROs in the, in, in the school districts, right? But how people reacting to that is so interesting because they're saying, we have to have a conversation with the chief. Oh no, wait a minute. We're not there yet. Nothing has happened in Alexandria yet. I think we are just waiting for something to happen for us to react to it, which, which it should be the other way around. So we have been saying for so long that we should hold the police department accountable, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And we have been proposing an ordinance that they should be collecting data and reporting data to people to tell us how they really do in policing in our communities, because one of the biggest concerns back on four years ago was, you know, our people feel targeting by a police department. Yep. Whether they are playing in the playground, whether they're just walking on the street, they're usually talking to black and brown kids. Oh, I always laugh at going to how we're quote unquote progressive. There are certain parks in this area where the police are called depending on the color of the kids that are playing in that park. And I mean young kids, like five, six, seven, eight-year-old children. And it's upsetting. And people sometimes don't understand or don't fully think through when you have more of a police presence, it's just a numbers game at that point of who's going to jail, who's going to prison. And so when we over police communities, when we have that presence there, that just.
further perpetuates a lot of other issues. We talk about mass incarceration and then those impacts when people are coming home from incarceration or in the immigrant community, once they get incarcerated, are they getting deported? What does that really look like? And so there are all like there's just so many layers, and especially in the Chirilago community. I knew about some of the things, but I didn't know know about some of the issues and some of the complexities until I actually got in the community and started talking to people. I do want to, before we go too far, because I think we're going to dive into a really um, interesting next segment. But when you asked the question, Katie, around um, Evelyn, are you working on solutions? I don't know why, but something that went through my mind was like, I'm not comfortable with that. I'm not comfortable with the fact that we as the community, if we're not proposing the solution, then there's almost this barrier of then you shouldn't be speaking about it. Mm -hmm. And I don't say that to say that we shouldn't be in the conversation and we shouldn't have ideas for how to fix it. But I do think there should be something that if you see an issue, if there's something you're passionate about, if something is just wrong, you don't have to know how to figure it out to call it out to our elected officials and our decision makers and hold them accountable to be like, get a solution for us. That's why I agree with you. But if those same, the whole reason that we started checkbox outreach was because so many people had never even had conversation. They're not walking down the streets of Mount Vernon Avenue to actually talk to people. So then you're putting the solution ask on them when they have no interaction with people's day-to-day experience. So I get you. I think it should be like that, but that again, it's the balance and the real ask on our policymakers, our decision makers to say, expose yourself and then make appropriate solutions or come up with appropriate solutions. Uh, yes, I think we are not there yet. Right. I, I, we wish we can be there and say, you know, we had an issue. You are our elective. Fix it. Um, but it's so sad to know that even though. To reduce suspension, for example, right? We have to come out as a community to push for restorative justice, right? Yeah. And we have to push for seven years for this program to be implemented and still is not being implemented right. So that just very tells us that the system that we have is not working. It's not working for us. There are policies that have been there for so long and we're still looking our communities, we're still looking this country in this day as probably 100 years ago. And things yeah. have changed. We are mm-hmm. so diverse and people come from different backgrounds and people struggle in so many different ways. We are not saying that we were 30 years ago, 40 years ago. And we're still acting like it's the same thing. Um, and I think that's why historically, we see how our community have been oppressed and we continue to be oppressed because most, I mean, let's look at the state. Who run the state? It's not yeah. necessarily women of color. It's not necessarily women in general, right? It, and, and the laws that are in place are laws that didn't work. Oh, the system is not for us It's at not all. for us. At all. So I think the best would be that to have a really good system in, in place that we just see the problem and they fix it and they look for solutions. But sometimes, and that's where, that's where we can, we create problems as, as an organization because we are there and we tell them you're doing your job wrong. And <laughs> Nobody likes to hear that. <laughs> and this is why you're doing it wrong. And this is why, and, and, you know, and you don't hear that just from Emily, you hear that from 20, 40 yep. Latin, Latinx women or youth. And they don't like that. Yep. I mean, no, and they're, I guess, they're the educators, right? 
Right. No, and I, I agree with you both that we are not at that point yet. I think we have to disrupt and call out people and let them know the vision of the system we want to see. But I also think we need them to be doing more. And part of this should be calling them out to, okay, if you don't know who to talk to, then get out from behind your desk, get out from behind wherever you are right now and go out to communities. I don't know, I would suggest link up with folks like Evelyn and walk these communities, talk to people. Actually, I think it's too often we accept the excuse of, well, we did outreach or I didn't know who to ask or nobody showed up at the meeting. And I just, I want to see us pushing both, like us setting the agenda, but also pushing those on the other side to, I don't know, be more creative and do more with the power that we've given them by electing them. For sure. I, I agree with you on that one. Yeah. I mean, so that, that would be the best way to go. <laughs> <laughs> Evelyn, one day, one day. What's your, I mean, what's, what's the ask right now? Like, what do you need? What does your community need right now today? Like what will change the, change the trajectory for what's happening in your community? At this point to stop the evictions at this point, more funding to ensure that our people go back, um, even though we don't know when this is going to end. But as more time we pass and we're still in the same situation, our communities is being more at risk to be displaced. And it's going to be displaced, and we're going to use the excuse of COVID-19 to displace these brown and black people who um, we don't want to see in our city. And, and that's, that, that's the excuse, right, for not doing what we should be doing. Right, going back to how we use the funding. Do we really need more policing or do we really need more into our community who needed the most, whether it's housing, whether it's the school system, now that everything's gonna be online. I mean, there is so many expenses, but sometimes we spend and most of the time we spend money on what we shouldn't. Yep. And we had see it and we still see it. If you look at the budget, doesn't matter where you look at the budget in, in Virginia, I bet you that the department that has more money is the law enforcement department, right? So I, I think our community, what they need at this point is, number one, for the governor to stop the evictions, two, more funding, and three, the low calories has to put up with the programs that they had in place that is not reaching out to the community who needed the most. Mm-hmm. Community are applying for programs, but they're not being be served by the programs. I think even though going back to Alexandria, like I said, right, Alexandria is considered as one of the city really progressive. I think our elective official and everyone in those office have to really think about what does that mean for them? Yep. Or are what do really they really enough? celebrate? Like yes. the first lady was just all over, the first lady of Virginia was all over the press for, you know, celebrating Visit Alexandria and the response to covid but what about going down Mount Vernon Avenue and actually celebrating and talking to those people? So we actually have to pay attention to where the celebrations and the pats on the back are and where they should be. So Evelyn, what does a progressive leader look like to you? Oof. Uh, I, <laughs> a I real progressive. I believe someone who really stands for, for, for the people that they believe in right but i mean let's be honest we had a black president right but having just only one person in power doesn't create the change and i think that's what we need to have as many as we can right mm-hmm. um progressive leaders that it can work for the agenda that the people really need the people of color need the, the most 
you know, the people who are, have been more oppressed need it at this point. Um, having one, having two, or having three, it doesn't make a difference if it's still controlled by people. And, and trust me, this day, you know, anyone can say I will do A, B, and C, but when they get to office, they don't do what they say they will do. Yep. So, um, you know, it, it's really kind of tricky, but I think it is important, right, to ensure that people vote on elections. But also we have to ensure that we hold these politicians accountable at the different levels, not just only at the local level, but state level, federal level, right? It, we're living in a crisis right now with COVID-19, but also it's not just that. It's also how they are oppressing our people, right? Why Black Lives Matter is up there. Why why the brown kids are still in cage at this point? Mm -hmm. Why we're still dealing with the same issue, right? And it's because the system is broke. It's not working for us. It's not for us. And do we have progressive leaders? We have some of them. That that's enough? That's not enough. We still have to educate everyone about the issues that we're facing um, and ensure that one day they will get it, right? We are here. We are part of the society. We contribute to the society. And I think it's time for them to realize that we're also human beings. Yeah. But we're being oppressed in so many ways and pushed away for so many years. And I think if we really want to help, we have to start not just only listening to this type of conversation that we have now, but being active in our community, right? And how that active look like? It's mostly you don't just believe something is wrong. You do something about that. Yep. And, and I we... think that's what we say. We're so progressive, but we're not moved to change that. No, and it's so true. And we had a conversation with John and he schooled us because I was embarrassed and Ali and I had the conversation where we didn't even know Latin history, right? Like our our minds were blown about indigenous cultures and populations in Fairfax County. But he made a really good point when he talked about power building and following the money. And especially with local leaders and state leaders and even federal leaders, show us in your funding. Just like you said, show us in the budget. And I've learned now some of my harshest business lessons. I'm like, it's great that you say you want to support or whatever, but I'll believe you when the check clears in my bank account. Like, that's the only time I'm going to believe what you're saying. And it goes, it holds true on the budget side of the local, state, and federal economies as well. Like, show us where you're spending your money. Then we'll believe you. Yeah, no, definitely. And also, you know, I always say, just don't talk. Prove it to me. Yeah. Right? They just don't tell me. I agree. We had an issue with kids being suspended, but you keep putting more police in the schools. Or, you know, you agreed you had an issue having kids in the criminal justice um, process, but you're still adding funding to have more policing in school, for example, right? I mean, it's just, you know, you agree with me, but you're not doing what is right. And, yeah. and I think that, and I think we have a lot of that. I mean, that is at the heart of why Katie and I wanted to start these conversations, that there are so many folks talking about what needs to be done or how it should be done or the issues, but there aren't enough folks acting and doing something about it but also doing something about it in a way that is driven by community and actually supporting what community is lifting up. And so I guess my last question for you would be, if any of our listeners want to get active in the work that you're doing and support you or support tenants and workers, how can they do that? Right now we had a petition going on, um, trying to get into the uh, school board to understand that SROs are not needed in our schools, that they should look at that and ending that or moving the resources to hire more counselors or 
you know, of any type of support that our students need. So people can sign up that petition is on in our Facebook um, account. But also, I think um, talking about rent assistance, talking about the issue that our families are going through with the COVID, I think there is a space for them to call the local officials, also our state representatives that, uh, you know, and, 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 and say it, you know, we need to really put more funding into this. We need a governor to stop this, right? It's not the same thing that the Latino community keeps saying, we want the, the governor to stop um, evictions and he can do it. He already did it before, right? Why yeah. not? He can expand that. He had the power to do it, but he haven't done it. He had decided not to protect the, fami the families that needed the most at this moment. Um, we put 50, 50 millions of dollars in, in the budget. That's a good start, but we need more than that. Um, based on the, on the numbers that we see, we need a lot of more. We need at least a billion. I know that probably we don't have a billion, but we're not even thinking about that. <laughs> and, you know, and it's an opportunity for us to really... I think every resident, doesn't matter where they are and they're listening to us, to push their local officials to do more, but also to call the state representatives and say, this is how you can help at this moment. Because they're not thinking. They're not thinking about us at this moment. They're not. They're yeah. not thinking. When I say about us, I mean about everyone who had lost their job, about everyone who didn't get no um, unemployment, eh, people who are behind two or three months and because yeah, it's I not shocking anymore happy. either like where we are it's now just a normal like in the beginning it was shocking and people were really empowered to act and now it's just like yeah people aren't working people are getting evicted like there's no outrage it seems to me anymore like people have lost their fire yeah i i think we go through process that we get so motivated because something is not wrong and we see it on TV and everything, right? But then we feel like it's normal. We normalize the issues, right? Which that's what I love my job because I never feel that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my emergency yesterday, still my emergency today. Yes. Um, but, you know, a lot of people just feel like, oh, that's normal, right? Oh, the Latino community is getting sick. Oh, it's okay. Uh, w do we open the courts and we're going to go through evictions? Oh, today was 100 in the court. Tomorrow will be 200. It's okay. We normalize everything. And I think that's why it's really hard to fight against the system that is in place. Because we agree for a moment that it's not working for everyone. And we are mad and angry and we want to do something about it. But all of a sudden, the fire just, you know quarantine everyone was putting their sign let's yeah. stay home let's be safe let's take care of each other the people's doing that no yeah. i mean you know it's yes yeah. and i th and i think that's that's why it's really important to um do the work that we're doing and i think that's why it's important to have these conversations and talk about that issue because trust me right now we can still talk about it because COVID is still active in the work community but let's say one year from now things have changed this community who have been impacted is going to be displaced. These kids who your kids went to go school with won't be there anymore. Diversity will disappear. And then you will say, oh, my God, I sent my kids in private school. Now I would oh, like my I, kids. Evelyn, I, I hope you're ready because I'm already in my head planning a follow-up conversation with you because I definitely want to talk about economic development, particularly Amazon and affordable housing in the Arlandria and Lago community. And so just so you know, that's happening. I don't know when yet, but we're going to have that conversation. Looking forward for that. As soon as, soon as Amazon announced that they were coming we were like really working with the work community at that moment um i think 
rent went up. I mean, it's yeah. a lot of issues, right? A lot of issues. And no, and, we're, and, we're and doing like, it. We're doing it. It's going to be the part two. <laughs> <laughs> so it is, it is what it is. And I think what we have to do is to ensure that our people understand that these issues are really impacting our community and that there is a lot that we can do. And we don't have to call ourselves progressive. We can just act like one of them. Yep. And let's pick it up the phone, call our mayor, city council, let's call it the state level representative, tell them we need more funding, we need to stop evictions and see how they can handle it, right? And, and you know, we, we have to ensure that our representative do what they are supposed to be to do in a crisis. Um, and I think that depends on all of us at this moment. Yeah, I so. think we just need to end it there. That was like the best mic drop like ever. I'm with you. <laughs> so thank you. We appreciate you. But that's a wrap. Go do something. Yeah, I think we are at the moment. It's time for action. Checkbox Outreach is more than a podcast and simply putting a check in a box. This is about impact and moving the needle. Aaliyah and Katie, what are the next steps? All right, Katie, another fabulous conversation. I had so much fun talking to Evelyn. I feel like she schooled me in so many ways. Um, What was your takeaway? I mean, outside of the passion and the energy and just getting ready to go kick down doors with Evelyn, I really think it's the theme of what we've talked about a lot in following the money. And especially when it comes to our state and our local budgets and even our federal budgets is tiring or as boring or as tedious as it might seem to get involved. We have to be paying attention to where the money goes. This is our money. These are public dollars that we're contributing through our taxes that we have to hold our elected officials accountable for and how that's being spent. So I couldn't agree with you more, but I also, ever since the episode, I've been reflecting on What does it look like to hold your elected officials accountable and how much of that has to just fall on, you know, like we, the people. And there was a part in the episode when I mentioned, you know, our elected officials want us to come with the vision, come with the plan, come with the policy. And yes, I think we are lived experts and we should, but at the same time, they need to come with something as well. And I realized that the reason why I'm so passionate about this is I actually was participating in this participatory budgeting workshop in Kansas City, Kansas years ago when I was at NLC. And they invited us to come down because they were like, we have this great model where the citizens are telling us how to spend the budget. And we went to this neighborhood and they broke everybody into small groups and they were like groups of five. And I was sitting next to this lady and they gave us all a worksheet and I was just there to observe. But my girl next to me, she refused. She was like, I'm not doing this. (laughs) And I was like, why? And she's like, girl, they already spent the money. And I was like, no, they haven't spent the money. Like, I'm serious. Like, we're here to do this together. And they look at her and they look at everybody and they said, you have a hundred million dollars. You need to decide how to divide it up. And like nobody in the room could do the exercise. I think partly because the amount of money was just unfathomable for some people. Second reason was they then had this list of like, okay, it costs $100,000 just for them to mow an empty plot of land. So like it didn't even make sense as to like why the things we need in our neighborhood cost so much. And as I'm talking to the lady, she was like, look, at the end of the day, I just wanted them to fix the pothole. I don't know how much it costs to fix the pothole. I don't know how many potholes I get for $100 million. I just want a pothole fixed. And so I don't know, for me, like that is what was driving my comments in the episode that like at the end of the day, in some ways, we should just be able to say like this is what I want to see and I elected you to do better and I don't know what that looks like I know I agree with you both that we don't have politicians in every office yet 
who get that and create a better vision. But I don't know. I just don't want to create a power dynamic where it's if you don't have the solution, then you can't speak. I agree. I agree with that 100%. I think it's up to us to create a model. Us, maybe it is us, me and you, us, right? But to create a model and not going back to having that, what you're talking about, but also letting that be checkbox behavior, right? So when they're quote unquote bringing people to the table, who are they really bringing to the table? Or is participatory budgeting truly participatory budgeting? And I I just, I feel really strongly about the right people's voices being heard and the people that do have a say actually need to be better informed about the real issues that are happening in communities that they might not typically step foot in or be privy to conversations or dynamics in those communities. No, I agree. Um, The other thing I wanted to lift up from this episode is we talked a lot about housing. And I think if there's one takeaway, it's we need comprehensive housing legislation in the state of Virginia. And I say comprehensive because we need a focus on homelessness all the way to the building and creation of affordable housing. We need investments in eviction protections. I know Evelyn mentioned sort of movements to cancel rent. We also need, I mean, we're asking people to shelter in place. If you live in a place that's not safe, whether there's mold, rodents, or just an unsafe environment, we also need communities to have the resources to be able to create healthier housing to live in and to stay in, especially for our um, essential workers. Yeah. Again, it comes back, follow the money, pay attention to the budgets because the money will dictate policy. And it's, it's really important that people are paying attention. We have a colleague, a friend. I don't know if this person wants to be outed or mentioned, but Their support has been amazing for this show in giving policy guidance and giving legislative guidance. And they pointed out that in Virginia, there is a special session on August 18th, and the primary review will be the state budget and police reform. And from a policy perspective, that we really need to encourage our listeners to reach out to their delegation to make housing funding a priority, especially for wage earners who are providing essential services across industries. And so looking at housing and the impacts of housing in our communities, looking at what we talked about on the show about the black and brown community carrying our country on its backs throughout this COVID-19 pandemic, we need to do a better job at reaching out and holding our elected officials accountable and navigating the way for them to really put money where it needs to go. Agreed. And I would just say to reiterate, act now, pay attention to the special legislative session, but also as we come into the spring and state and level state and local governments have taken a hit due to COVID-19 and the state of our economy, there are a lot of questions about what Are we going to cut? How are we going to balance our budget? And so we have to be at that table demanding what we want to see and prioritizing the things that if they are chopped, our communities will be decimated. So we need to be really sounding our voice for housing, for education, and for some of the other issues we've talked about is so essential to healthy communities. Done and done, Aaliyah. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Checkbox Outreach. Our episodes are available on our website as well as Spotify and iTunes. We can also be found on Twitter at Disrupt Outreach.